Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you're 21 years old and use nicotine or tobacco, I'm here to tell you about Black Buffalo and how it's redefining tradition for millions of adult consumers. So if you're over 21, consume nicotine or tobacco, and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults aged 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me virtually is Logan Camden. And today we're going to be talking a little bit of NFL to you all using a tried and true Nerd Sesh format. And that is NFL true or false. So today we'll be posing six statements and debating whether or not they are true or false. And we're going to start with a topic that is related to last night's Thursday night football game in which the Cowboys beat the Saints 27-17. New Orleans made the switch from Trevor Simeon to the esteemed and highly paid Taysom Hill, and it didn't go all too well for them at the end of the day, and things got a little bit uglier as the game progressed. So, Logan, we actually talked just earlier about this week in a trivia time context about how odd Taysom Hill and just his existence as a football player and his utilization in New Orleans is. So after his rough performance, which featured four interceptions, true or false, Taysom Hill should never start another NFL game. Yeah, I mean, I think this is false. Uh, I, I think he's clearly the Saints starter moving forward the rest of the season. Like, that being said, man, he's not a franchise quarterback. He is not a long-term option whatsoever for the Saints. Like, uh, for a few reasons. Like, his arm, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. It's shitty. Like, Taysom is not an NFL quarterback. Uh, He is not. He is not anything close to a pocket passer. He is not a good thrower of the football. And even worse than that, like, Taysom reads the field like a college quarterback. Like, honestly, watching him... uh, last night against the Cowboys really reminded me of like like Zach Wilson almost in some of the progressions he was making and some of the decisions like he's just forcing balls that yeah maybe will go through that just won't at the NFL level um and if the defense doesn't bite on the play action like he is pretty limited like they are not at all worried about him going downfield this was an ugly atrocious game I mean this is one of the worst individual throwing performances I've ever seen out of a quarterback like Dude, all of these interceptions were bad, except for uh, the first one, like the throws a duck on that play-action interception to KZ, the lollipop pick six to the D-lineman. 
He never saw Diggs on that pick he throws later in the game. He's under 50% completion for this entire game. But regardless, like, he still gives the Saints the best chance to win the rest of the way, man. The way he runs scares me, and I thought, uh, I watched Pro Football Talk. I thought Peter King did a really good job of describing his running style. Like, he said that Lamar Jackson is kind of Franco Harris-esque and how he gets out of the bounds. Taysom Hill doesn't do that, man. This guy, he's tough. He is hard-nosed. He's always trying to get that extra yardage. And I feel like injury is almost kind of inevitable with how he plays, dude. Like, at a quarterback, quarterbacks can't take licks like this. I do think we got a little hyperbolic with this one, though. He's good enough to win games. He is very Tim Tebow-esque. I think that's what a lot of people have said. But you can win games with Tebow. Now, I think they need Kamara to be healthy. They need to tailor this offense around him because I thought a really big mistake in this game, Carson, as it went along... The Saints kept trying to go downfield with Taysom, and like they kept opening up the playbook for him in this Jameis Winston style. Taysom does not have the arm to do that. Earlier on in this game, they were going with the RPO stuff, the rollouts, the quick hitting play action, the over the middle short yardage stuff, and it worked because that is how you tailor your offense to Taysom Hill. Um, like, obviously, this was a disastrous game. The interceptions, you get behind early, and you are forcing Taysom to throw the ball, but. If they don't allow the offense to get out of his element, if they allow him to do more design QB runs, more short yardage play action stuff, I think the Saints can win games. Again, they need Kamara healthy. They need the defense to play well. Like, Taysom Hill is not a guy who is going to drive winning, but you can win games with this kid. And I don't know, man. Playoff contention is, I think, out of the picture at this point, but this is still a team that can be competitive down the way with Taysom Hill at quarterback. And I think he can win win them some games down the road. I like you calling him a kid when he's in his 30s. (laughs) But I agree with the vast majority of what you said there. Because at the end of the day, he is a full-on gimmick. He's always been a full-on gimmick. And it's hilarious to me that they penned a contract in which he theoretically could make up to $90 million. Pretty unlikely, because he could also make as little as like $22 million. But to be a gimmick. However... I think there's a strong argument to be made that a gimmick quarterback is a better option than just trotting out Trevor Simeon week to week, and I think that that is probably the reality for the Saints. So I think that this is false as well. The thing is, they just need to go all in on, as you said, accommodating him and making it a gimmick offense. You got to get super weird. You got to get super creative, and you can't ask him to throw the ball 41 times because that's just not going to work, and you're right. The Kamara injury is very damaging in that respect and falling behind also is going to make it exceptionally difficult for them to win because you know he's got good touch but boy there is no velocity on his ball and he also missed a lot of open guys in this game like it was just really really rough like you said one of the worst straight up throwing performances I can think of seeing from a starting NFL quarterback and the problems really begin when okay, now you're down more than one score and the clock is ticking and you start pressing and he starts throwing downfield and it's like, not only is he throwing balls that are completely underthrown, he's throwing them right at defensive players and that's really inexcusable. He threw three of his picks in the second half of the fourth quarter and I think that that's very telling, but I do agree with you. I mean, he is capable enough. He is really pretty darn effective as a runner of the football, and he was over 100 yards yesterday. And last year we saw when he stepped up and started four games, he was able to complete 73% of his passes and was able to find a way. But of course, against really legitimate teams, 
it's going to be extremely difficult. They're going to have to have great defensive performances, great showings running the ball, and then just be efficient and opportunistic when it comes to throwing the ball. But I just continue to think that he is like the most over-discussed player in football. I think that's very obvious because he's not really good at anything. I mean, yeah, he can be a below-average tight end if you want him to be. He can be a running quarterback, and he's actually pretty good at that, but it's just not enough, obviously, to stabilize and carry an offense. And it's really a bummer because I do think the Saints had a really talented football team this year, and with Jameis just being solid as a starter, I think they were headed towards a playoff appearance. And I'm not going to say that's impossible with Taysom Hill because the NFC is just so weird, but it's definitely difficult and he 100% limits significantly what you can do as an offense yeah and I think also I think with Jameis going down and them having to turn to Simeon and Hill has really made it uh has really accentuated the uh, exit of Michael Thomas this season you know like he would be so valuable to this team if like I might still pick them to be a playoff team if he was out there right now um They've had a lack of really valuable receiving weapons all season with Marquez Callaway leading the bunch. Like, it's been rough. I do want to touch on something that you bring up, though, Carson, because you talk about the gimmick, the gimmickiness of Taysom, the the gadgetry. Like, uh, Mike Florio on Pro Football Talk, uh, when I was watching the thing with him and Peter King earlier, he compared him running, like, uh, his running caliber of, like, a Lamar Jackson almost. And I don't want to talk about, like, straight line speed or elusiveness, because I think Taysom's really unique and just that I, I, he's so limited to just his running ability. But, like, where do you think he ranks among rushing quarterbacks in the NFL? Just as pure rushers, like, where, where do you think he ranks among the pantheon of rushing quarterbacks? That's an awesome question. I think that what really separates him from the top two guys who I think are clearly Lamar and Kyler, and not separates in a way that it means he's better, but just makes him distinct, is that he's a power back, man. I mean, you bring him in inside the five, and you bring him in for third and short kind of stuff, and he can do that really well. And yeah, he's certainly fast for a quarterback, but it is that willingness to go in there and take contact, and he does change direction pretty well. So I would have to put him in a tier with... Josh Allen, and uh, I think that he is clearly in uh, the top five, but I don't think you could take him over Lamar or Kyler because those dudes are just different level of shifty and acceleration and speed. But, I mean, Taysom can also do some things that really only those more big physical quarterbacks who have speed like Josh Allen, like maybe in spots of Justin Herbert, stuff that only those kind of guys can do. Yeah, I, I agree for the most part, and I think uh, something pretty interesting, man. Another guy, um, Justin Fields, I would also have up there. Yeah. Um, but something that's pretty interesting, only the third quarterback uh, in the NFL this season to rush for 100 yards in a single game, joining Fields and Lamar. Like, that's just, I don't know, I really do think he's up there, and I think that's why, yes, like you said, bro, he is limited. He limits this offense. He limits what this team can do against explosive offenses. He limits what this team can do when they fall behind early in games and is just going to limit them in general. But he's a special runner of the football. And if Sean Payton wakes up, because damn, dude, it seems like he was reluctant to bag on him at all in the presser. 
Oh, he's, he's a tough guy. He played with a lot of heart. He had his guts out there. Yeah, thanks, Sean. If Sean dedicates this offense and changes it up, like I really think the Saints can be really competitive and make a genuine playoff push in the NFC because, like you said, man, the NFC is just weird. It's wide open week to week. It seems like things change. Like I think the top-end teams are much better, but the wild-card spots are certainly still on the line. Yeah, well, we discussed the possibility that maybe – Taysom Hill has some sort of significant leverage against Sean Payton or that perhaps <laughs> Sean Payton is madly in love with him. These seem to be really the most reasonable deductions at this point. And at the end of the day, I just think it's very telling that everybody gets so excited about Taysom Hill. And there's a reason they started Trevor Simeon for four games before him. And this is like a last resort. Oh, man, this isn't working. OK, let's see if we can throw our fake quarterback, fake tight end, fake running back out there and see what happens. So I still do think he's a better option than Simeon, but this was a really, really brutal showing from him. But I like it, man. I like seeing different quarterbacks out there, especially stylistically. It's entertaining, and it's not always the prettiest, but it's fun to have variety, and I enjoy that about the evolution of the game that we've seen up to this point. Taysom Hill epitomizes the evolution of football, Logan. He really, really does. Yeah, what a beautiful player. All right, let's keep it moving here. We had some unfortunate news this week, and that is that Christian McCaffrey is not going to return this season with an ankle injury. Obviously, missed the vast majority of last year as well. And he is also on a four-year, $64 million contract with $38 million guaranteed and having been given $21.5 million in signing bonus. So, Logan, obviously we have a perennial conversation about the value of running backs in the NFL today, how much they should be paid, how much they should be credited for their own production. True or false, you should never pay a running back as much as Christian McCaffrey got. Uh, yeah, it's true. And, I mean, you can just take a look at some of the high-end guys. Uh, I mean, just look at the highest-paid guys in the NFL right now. Uh, you mentioned McCaffrey making $16 million a year. Uh, over the last five seasons, he has the 18th most carries in the NFL, and that's excluding receiving targets. He missed basically all the last year. He's going to miss the rest of this season. Like, all of these top-end guys who have a lot of touches, it feels inevitable that they're going to go down. You know, like Alvin Kamara, second-highest-paid this season, $15 million a year. He's got the 13th most carries over the last five seasons, and again, that's excluding receiving touches. He has struggled with knee injuries. Uh, Zeke, third-highest paid back in the league at 15 mil. Honestly, I don't think the contract is actually that bad, and Zeke has kind of been an anomaly in the sense of paying running backs. Um, he's been consistently successful, but again, that's behind one of the best offensive lines in the league. You move on down to Dalvin Cook, who's been exceptional. He's still very young, but now he is dealing with a dislocated shoulder. He's the fourth highest. Like, it's guys now, and you can look at guys from lesser contracts over the past few seasons. Le'Veon Bell tears his ACL, gets four years, 52 mil from the Jets. It's pretty much done after that. Todd Gurley, four years, 60 mil. Has the third most carries over the last five seasons. Just burn out. Burnt all of his knees up. Is done. Saquon, the 10th highest paid back in the NFL right now. He's behind battle lines. He has battled knee injuries, ankle injuries. And the sad reality about this, Carson, his, contact, his contract is up in 2023. The Giants are going to have to make another decision. And if they pay him, that is going to be one of the dumbest decisions in football. Like, at this point, because I have been straddling the fence on this running back debate for a very, very long time. 
I am closer to saying I would never pay a running back to a second contract ever than I am saying that I would pay more running backs. Like, the difference in value behind the best back in the league and a league average back is not that significant. These guys are expendable. This is the least valuable position in the NFL. Like, the bottom line is these guys are at best durable for four to eight years, and with the best high-volume backs in the NFL— Injuries are inevitable. This is the workhorse position in the NFL. It is the worst position to play. You are taking licks every time you touch the ball with the biggest, most physical guys on the field. And the sad reality, Carson, that I don't think enough people talk about, the only way to get value out of a big contract that you pay out to guys in the Zeeks, in the Alvin Kamaras, is to supplement them with another good running back. Why has Alvin Kamara been able to stay up for so long? He's had Mark Ingram to rely on. Why has Zeke been able to sustain this contract? He's had Tony Pollard to bring on. And the sad reality of that situation is that Tony Pollard's probably better right now. And, like, McCaffrey, the thing that's going to save him longevity-wise, if he can be saved, is another running back. So, like, all that being said, no. I wouldn't pay a running back at all, bro. I would not pay a guy to a second extension unless their name is Derrick Henry. He is the only one that I would give big-time money. Maybe Nick Chubb. Maybe. But, like, that's stretching it. And, again, he has a guy to rely on in Kareem Hunt. So, honestly, my take on this, no. Go running back by committee, or you better have the greatest running back in the league if you're going to pay him money because it is just simply not worth it whatsoever. So, here's my thinking. Certainly, I agree with a majority of what you've said, and I think that it really is alarming when you just look at the most highly paid guys and how many of them are unavailable or have been inconsistently available or a guy like Zeke where, like you said, he's getting outproduced as far as efficiency by his expected backup. There is certainly a very established trend. There's one thing, though, It makes me tentative about using an absolute term like never. It's that I think that there is, first of all, a mold of player that in theory should be more valuable and less susceptible to injury. And that is the exceptional receiving back, a guy like Kamara. Now, obviously, what's troubling is that Christian McCaffrey is sort of an example of that. But guys who don't have to necessarily be consistent workhorses on the ground and who can supplement and add to their value by being those dynamic receiving weapons, I really think that matters. I mean, I don't know how we can go from one segment of saying, oh, well, the Saints desperately need Kamara because of the many versatile things he's going to do for their offense, so efficient as a rusher, but then also so, so valuable as a release valve as a receiver, and then also say, well, he's not actually that important. Because I think that that's different, right? You're not just running behind an offensive line in those situations. You are creating more opportunities for your offense and making it easier on your quarterback. And that really does matter. And Kamara has historically been very healthy, but it's troubling now that he's hurt too. Because I would say the other guy who's been the Ironman at the position and I think is clearly the best running back in football is Derrick Henry. And even he now obviously is hurt. But I would say... It's really tough because you have to have such a high level of confidence in so many things, in health, in the versatility of the skill set like I'm talking about. But there are some dudes who really completely change the dynamics of an offense. There's very few, but I think that 
Derrick Henry and Alvin Kamara are those kinds of guys. And so I think that I would pay them. Like, I don't think anybody ever really thought that Zeke was that guy, you know, and to give him six years is unthinkable. Four years is tough, but the reality is somebody's going to pay your star running back for four years. I would prefer not to, but if you really want that guy back, that's probably a sacrifice you have to make. And it's really tough, man, because there's an argument to be made, I think, that you can look at all these uber-talented guys, your Dalvin Cooks of the world, your McCaffreys, and say you'll never be confident enough in their health to justify paying them. And I think that that's fair, but I think it's also really, really hard to look at a talent like those two guys and say, hey, we're just going to let you walk. But again, Christian McCaffrey, who was completely healthy through his first three years, was in that same class of talent, was that kind of receiving back, and we have seen the really ugly turn that it's taken. So I don't know, man. I would say overwhelmingly, I would not pay anybody as much as Christian McCaffrey got, but I don't know if I could say point blank, never. I mean, I would never say that any of these guys aren't talented enough to pay because, I mean, I think Kamara and McCaffrey are literally the, I think they're top three receiving backs of all time, you know, with Marshall Falk. And it's like, I don't know, man. I get what you're, I get what you're getting at by supplementing production, you know, not behind the, the O-line, but it's like, I almost think it makes it dangerous. You know, like the reason that McCaffrey is broken down is because he is the Panthers' entire offense. Mm-hmm. Because he has been so productive, they haven't gotten him any kind of release valves. Like, they just lean on him and lean on him until he is broken. And, like, I just think, I don't know, man. It's tough. Because you don't want to pass up on talent like that. You never do. These guys are special. And in good situations where they have, you know, some of the best O-lines in football, I don't think they get hurt. But, like, I think I think the team that really accentuates my point, at least, about why running back by committee works has to be the 49ers. Like... The 49ers have consistently invested in their offensive line year to year, drafting young guys to come in and replace tackles, going out and, you know, acquiring a Trent Williams, who I believe is the number one run blocker in football this season. I, I'm, yes, I guess I guess at the end, my take at the end of this to, to put a bow on it is going to be that you should always invest in a line instead of running backs. But like, it's worked in San Francisco, man. They bring in randos mm-hmm. every year. Like it has worked with Elijah Mitchell, Trey Sermon, this season like I mean who did they have last year like they just I feel like the Niners just kind of I wasn't as dominant last year but they had backup QBs well, I mean, and, the Super Bowl run Raheem Mostert comes in out of nowhere and all of a sudden is like one of the most productive runners in football exactly yeah and they had Matt Breda and Tevin Coleman and it's just like I don't know man I think you can have a consistently good enough rushing attack by paying less players I, that's my take, man. Mm-hmm. I am going to go never. Like, I think you have got to be a Derrick Henry-level talent for me to pay you. Okay, I'm, well, so that's I, not never then, though. That's you would pay Derrick Henry that much. One guy. I would pay one guy. Okay. I'm trying to think over the last... I would pay... Over the last 20 years, who are guys that you... I would have paid LT. Tomlinson's a no-brainer. Like, but the Adrian list Peterson. is slim, dude. A, yeah, AP. That might be it, bro. Beast mode, maybe? I Like... Those are probably my only three guys, bro. LT, AP, and Derrick Henry. I think that that's fair and reasonable. Here's the one thing I'll say. Because I think you make a very good point about McCaffrey being asked to completely carry an offense. My point is, when I talk about these guys 
being these dynamic receiving weapons. Tied in with that, they have to have less responsibility as straight-up runners of the football. And that's, like you said earlier, what we had seen with Kamara. Before this year, Alvin Kamara had had never averaged 13 rushing attempts per game. And, accordingly, he had never missed more than two games in a season. And then he's giving you this remarkable production through the air as well, where he's got 80-plus catches in every year. McCaffrey, his last healthy season, was carrying the ball 18 times a game. And then we only saw him through three games last year, but he had 59 carries in those three games. So that's a different dynamic. I still do believe that you need to have multiple running backs. The only team that we have seen go against that mold completely and find success has been the Titans with Derrick Henry. And again, even he is hurt now. So I think you need to have multiple guys. You need to have other cheap options. And yes, we do see consistently you find success plugging and playing. Like I am certainly more on the side of don't pay running backs. I just don't know if I'm comfortable with the absolute because I think that there are like two exceptions. But even those guys, it's scary, man. I just don't know how you could look in the mirror and say, we're just going to let Alvin Kamara walk because maybe he'll get hurt down the line. Like maybe that is the rational thing to do, but I think that's really hard to do when you understand how important he is to an offense like that. And obviously same thing goes with Derrick Henry, but even more so because he's just a completely different beast than really anybody that I've ever seen. So you mentioned the Niners, Logan, and the tremendous success that they have had historically plugging and playing different running backs and whatnot. And that has been the case over the last few weeks as well as they've picked up a few wins in a row. So obviously preseason expectations for them were playoff team pretty high and then got off to a slow start to the year. Now that they've picked it back up in really an ever-unpredictable league, Logan, true or false, the San Francisco 49ers are legitimate contenders again. I'm on the fence, man, because you talk about the uh, unpredictability of the league. Like, I guess it depends on what you, you know, uh, define as a genuine contender. Like, can I see this team getting to the NFC title game? Honestly, yeah. Like, I can't really see them making a Super Bowl run. Like, they've been a lot better these past three games. They've been establishing the run. You know, they beat the Rams 31-10. They beat the Jags 30-10. They take down the Vikings 34-26. They have over 150 rushing yards in every single game. Um, They've got two other top-level weapons offensively. Criminally underrated Debo Samuel, George Kittle. This is the number one red zone team in football. You know, they've got a smart game manager in Jimmy G., the defense has gotten drastically better over the course of this season. And like I said, man, when this team plays ball control, run it down your throat, play action offense, I think they can beat anyone on any given day. But they're not a real contender in my eyes for two reasons. The defense isn't elite. That was their identity during their playoff, you know, their deep playoff run. The pass rush is good, but it's not dominant like it was during that Super Bowl run. The secondary still kind of stinks. And I just think, and I think you have seen this in two games against the Cardinals. I think you would see this in hypothetical matchups against the Packers, against the Buccaneers, against high-octane air attacks. I don't expect them to stay in games. It is a big burden on Jimmy G's back to play come-from-behind football. And I just don't know if I can trust that burden that you would put on him. Jimmy G is a good quarterback when you ask him to do simple things. When you ask him to play Mac Jones football, when you ask him to play short stuff, run the ball, 
He's good at that. When you have when you get a lead early and can just run teams out of the building, he's good at that. Mm-hmm. But he's not a guy that I want going out there and winning you a game. So look, it just it depends on what you say is genuine contender. If you think they're an NFC title contender, sure. Yeah, I think they can get to the game. I don't think they get into the Super Bowl, though. Um, and honestly, I'd like to hear you, where they are for you in the NFC. They're probably six for me um, right behind the Cowboys. They're my favorite of the wild card contenders uh, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Well, outside of, of course, the Rams because they're going to be in a wild card spot too. But I would have them six in the NFC. And I think that outside of the Vikings, they've separated themselves from really everybody else in that wild card race. I am with you, though, in that I don't quite think you can call them contenders just because I think if you look at the five teams above them, I mean, they are higher-octane offenses. A majority of them have been more consistently impressive defenses. I trust the quarterback play more for all of them. So there's just a few factors where it's like, yeah, a lot would have to go right for the Niners to really make a run. But what I will say is, last three weeks... They have done some essential things really well. And the reason I did maintain faith in them and think even at some of their low points, hey, this should at least be a playoff team is because I was just like, I don't understand how they aren't running the ball at a higher volume and running the ball better. And you mentioned it. These last three weeks, it hasn't always been overwhelmingly efficient, but they are making a consistent commitment to running the football. And that has always been the identity of this team, and they've done it really well. And that means that you don't put Jimmy in a spot where – He has to try to force the ball downfield and sometimes does make mistakes. And then defensively, they've forced multiple turnovers in all three of those games, and they have completely stopped the opposing run games, haven't let anybody run for 70 yards in that three-game stretch, which over their previous three games, they had let teams kind of run all over them. So those are key things, obviously. If any football team can do those three things, win the turnover margin by a large amount, run the football, and stop opposing teams from running the football, I mean, you just don't need much else to go right. You don't need great quarterback play. Like, you have just done the best things to put yourself in a position to control that game and ride it out from there. And if they can continue to do those three things, which I don't think is out of the question, then yeah, they're really good. But, again, I still just don't think, when you look at the gap as far as quarterback play, as far as consistency of the defense to some of those top five teams in the NFC. I'm not all the way there. I mean, if we're comparing them to each and every individual team that we have above them, Carson, I think in those three facets, I don't know if I like the 49ers in any aspect over any of those teams. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I like the running back committee for the Niners more than I like the Rams. That's it. Mm -hmm. Like, you look at quarterback play, I'm taking Dak Stafford, Murray, Brady, Rodgers, obviously defensively maybe you can question the Cowboys I believe in them they have turned up these past few weeks yeah yeah I just think I think the Niners are in just a separate tier let me ask you this though after what you saw from the Cowboys last night we've seen from them consistently what tier are the Cowboys in for you are in are they in that Niners tier or are they in that genuine top four contender tier for you I really feel like the Cowboys are clearly Better than the Niners, even though obviously there was a little bit of slippage from them in the couple weeks leading up to this one. I just think that offense is so, so dynamic. But I would still definitely have them fifth. I know that the Rams have lost three straight and have looked really, really ugly. 
but I still have faith, and I just think that team has a higher ceiling, man. The defense has been so eh and really poor compared to expectations, which was, hey, this will be a, maybe the best defense in football. And I just feel like if they can get up to being basically top 10, giving, given their air attack, that's just a really, really good football team. And then I feel like the top three in the NFC are so, so solid. So I would have the Cowboys fifth. I would honestly almost put them in a tier of their own. I'm still probably maybe overconfident in the Rams, but I do believe in that football team a lot, although some of their flaws have definitely been exposed. But I think that they're definitely better than the Niners. And I feel confident saying that. I think that the other problem the Niners are going to run into is just since they're not getting out of that six seed probably, unless the Rams continue to sputter and Niners win their head-to-head matchup that's still left. The path is just going to be unbelievable, bro. Like right now, they would have to go to Tampa to open things up. Then you would have to play probably the Packers. And then you're going to play the Cardinals in the NFC Championship game. It's like, there's just no way, dude. There's not a high enough level of offensive dynamism. There is no way they don't go down 10 in any of those games. And guess what? Then it becomes, okay, we need Jimmy G to be as good of a quarterback as Kyler Murray or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or Matt Stafford or Dak Prescott, and that's just not happening. So that's the biggest issue, I think, is that they're not able to play as multidimensional of a style they're not able to win in as many ways and I think that's what we're going to see yeah well said and I mean again in hypothetical matchups that you're laying out you're going up against the best rushing like one of the best rushing defenses in football in that first matchup against Tampa Bay like it's it's gonna be tough dude and uh yeah I think you I think you said you said it well you put a bow on it well man that's that's exactly why they're it's gonna be a rough road if the Niners can make a run, which I don't really see happening. I think a first-round exit mm-hmm. is far more likely. But, I mean, at least they've progressed to that point because if they didn't make mm-hmm. the playoffs this year, that would be really, really pretty darn disappointing. All right, so the Niners are picking things up. We've got another team in the NFC, Logan, that has just not gotten started all year, and they haven't won a game yet, and that is the Detroit Lions. So, Logan, true or false? The Lions will go winless this season. I'm going to go false here, dude. I I don't see it happening, man. This is I've heard a lot of criticisms about the Lions and I mean, when you're sitting there at 0 10 and 1, yeah, you're probably going to have some. Like I hear about the you know, the issues with their coaching, uh how they're not a well-coached team, the issues with their talent, which is obviously there. This team plays hard, bro. And it's like, we talk about basketball, man. We're big basketball guys. And playing hard in the regular season is going to net you some wins. I just cannot imagine that a team that plays this hard will go winless the rest of the way. And it is a brutal, brutal schedule. Because they're going to play the high-octane Vikings offense this this coming week. I don't see that as a win. They have to travel two-mile high. The Broncos' elite defense. They are top five this season. they got to play one of the best teams in the NFC, the Cardinals. Week 17, you got to play Seattle in Seattle, which Seattle's been on a rough downturn, but you still got Russell Wilson. You've got that home field loud advantage. And then you play the Packers in Week 18. But the one game I glossed over is in Atlanta. And so I guess my hot take for today, I think the Lions are going to beat the Falcons in uh, in Week 16. That That's my take. Like, 
I can't really see it happening to any other team. Obviously not on the rest of the schedule, but I just think if there's going to be a team that they're going to beat, it'll be the Falcons, man. The, the Falcons are just weird. They will drop duds and goose eggs. Like, they don't score against the Pats. They drop three on the Cowboys' heads. The Falcons are weird, and if they come out slow, if they come out sluggish, I think the Lions can play hard enough uh, to go out there and get them a win. I think they're going to need guys to be healthy. They're going to need Penny Sewell fully healthy. They're going to need a, their D-line to be fully healthy. They're going to need DeAndre Swift to be healthy out there to run this offense. But I'm going to go false, man. I got faith, dude. I cannot imagine that this franchise... Yeesh, man. Is it... Wow, dude. That would suck for Lions fans. Over the course of 15 years, you have two winless seasons. I'm going to cross my fingers for you guys because that is a different kind of pain, dude. Um, I'm going to go false, though, man. I think they somehow eke one out against the Falcons. Well, first of all, everything sucks for Lions fans because they're Lions fans. I don't know, man. Like, probability-wise, that's probably correct. And there's a couple winnable games, I guess, going to Seattle, but I just feel like they're going to be more than touchdown underdogs there. And the three teams that they're getting at home, I would think they have a very low chance of beating. The Lions just don't do a single thing well as a football team. Like, not a single thing. I mean... It's really pretty alarming. They are atrocious in situational football. I mean, third down, fourth down, red zone, offensively and defensively, they just flat out suck, which I think is certainly condemning as far as their coaching. Anthony Lynn is their offensive coordinator, which you just know never bodes well. I mean, they don't run the ball consistently exceptionally well. They're a pretty efficient rushing attack, but it's really tough for them to get in spots where they can run the ball at high volume because, I mean, they're bad. And then it just becomes the Jared Goff show, and he consistently reveals himself to just be awful and still hasn't won a game without Sean McVay in his career. And then defensively, they just don't do anything well. So if you can't throw the football, if you can't stop other teams from throwing the football, if you can't execute in meaningful situations... I really don't know how you find success. Like, yes, the Falcons have laid some real big duds, but going on the road there, man, I mean, the Lions still feel like pretty significant underdogs to me. Oh, no, I mean, they definitely are, but I think the Falcons game is a perfect storm for Detroit. Uh, The Falcons are 30th in third down defense. The Falcons are... You know, like, their bottom 10 in rushing defense. Uh, they also can't run the football themselves. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't want to predict this as, like, they're uh-huh. they're the favorites. They are definitely the underdogs here, but I think there's a chance. Like, they yeah. are... The Lions ran the ball all over us. Um, they ran the ball all over Cleveland. Like, if they can establish the run early and they can stay on the field during third downs, because I think that's the tough. I think the swing thing is obviously just golf extending drives for them. But I think it'll. I think it can work. Like the Falcons are just poor enough. I mean, it's going to be an ugly game. But I think the Falcons are just weird enough, sporadic enough, and just shitty enough to where the Lions can do it. Um, it's not going to surprise me though. Like if the Lions don't win a game, yeah. I mean, let me ask you this though. Mm-hmm. In the scope of NFL history, if they go winless, who's the worst winless team? Is it Cleveland from what was it 2017? Is it the 08 Lions or is it this Lions squad? Because I feel like. 
I guess this is my participation trophy, my sticker for you Lions fans. This has got to be the best winless team in, in NFL history if it happens, because I think they're way better than the other two. Yeah, I've been thinking about that as well. The 2017 Browns were pretty darn bad. I don't even know if they were actually worse than the 2016 Browns, but 2016 Browns managed to get that one win. They are not the worst football team that we have seen in recent years. I think that until week 14, last year's Jets team was uh, significantly worse. Like, the Lions have been competitive. The Lions would have beaten the Ravens. I mean, yeah, they got lucky in that game to get to that point, but if Justin Tucker wasn't God walking among us, I think I would have to go with the 2008 Lions. I mean, just point differential-wise, they're so much worse. Like, they were getting almost doubled on average, negative 15.5 point differential, whereas this year's Lions team is just a little bit into the negative double digits, but not deep into the negative double digits. So, yeah, you know what? We can give them that, Lions fans. And guess what? They'll have a tie on the resume. How great is that? They can say, we didn't lose every single game. So, yes, I think that they would be the best. And it does scare me to predict any team ever to not win a game because the NFL is so weird week to week. And a team like the Falcons can certainly be had. But I don't know, man. They're just really bad at almost everything. And uh, I just don't trust Jared Goff to ever pick up the slack and go out there and say, hey, I'm putting the team on my back. Like in the scheme of winless teams, I mean, sure, he's one of the better quarterbacks. Like, Jared Goff, we have seen reach the Super Bowl as a starter, but he also sucks and uh, is very bad at football. So, this is going to be interesting to see play out, man. I really do think it could kind of go either way. I just can't predict them to win a game. I, I really can't based on what we have seen. It just feels like if they were put in position, they would situationally mess it up, and Jared Goff would mess something up, and... Uh, just low, low, low confidence in this Lions team for me. Hope you can understand. They haven't won a game. There's a <laughs> there's a very good chance that uh that you know they they end the season with just a tie. And man, shout out, dude. Shout out to my Steelers and playing down to that competition. Yeah. Oh, that's that's certainly something I'm gonna be happy to look back on. Um, for you podcast listeners and also people viewing on YouTube right now, because we can't put graphics up. This is just a side tangent. Carson, the 2008, I don't know how long this logo extends. The 2008 Lions might have the ugliest logo I have ever seen in NFL history, dude. This thing is hideous. I want you to go to their pro football re reference page and take a look at this. For you podcast listeners, I want you to check it out as well. This thing is ugly, dude. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's my take for today. The Lions have an ugly-ass logo. No, dude, I'm telling you. This thing is horrendous. I accidentally looked up 2008 Loons. And then I accidentally looked up 2008 Lexus. The 2008 Great Lake Loons minor league baseball roster. Hell of a team that year. All right, let's see. I'll pull up this Logan logo. Okay, I guess that's a bad logo. <laughs> Click on their one from the next season, bro. This is fantastic audio content and video because nobody no can see it either way. There's no depth to this logo. There's no lines on it. It's just a blue splotch. Yeah, it looks pretty bad. All right, I'll It agree. looks like something that... What's that? It's like when you see a Rorschach test. That's what it looks like, bro. It's like, what do you see in this picture? That's not a lion, man. That's a that's a puddle of water. Anyway, let's, let's get this show on the road, yeah? All right. True or false, Logan? 
Mac Jones is a top five rookie quarterback of all time. I actually took time out of my day, and I have my top ten rookie quarterbacks. Oh, I love that. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's true, dude. Um, also, before we get started, another side tangent from Pro Football Reference. This kid's name, his middle name, Carson, get this. You want to take a stab at it? Herbert. <laughs> it starts with an. It starts with a Mick. I want you to finish that. Jagger. <laughs> oh, I, I, I know it. I know it. Guesses. It's McCorkle. Yeah, McCorkle. Yeah. You never heard him called that? What is that? McCorkle. It's a family name. Irish. Disgusting. Just absolutely disgusting. One of the worst names I ever heard. Um, n- Namesake-wise, it's a pretty bad... Like, top five worst middle names of all time, right? But the guy is a top five rookie quarterback of all time. He's got the highest completion percentage by a rookie in NFL history at 70.3%. That's nearly 3% higher than the second-place rookie, Dak Prescott. And that's not not only for rookies, man. He's got the 13th highest completion percentage in a single season in NFL history. Like, I know that... Like, the Pats aren't asking him to do a whole lot, right? They're playing ball control management football. But Mac does it at such a great level. And that's why you have to have him top five. Because I think the argument against Mac not being in top five is the outrageous numbers, right? 16 TDs, 8 picks, 2,900 yards. It's not mind-blowing, even through this set uh, of games to start the season. Like, you can point to... A Cam Newton having 35 total TDs in his rookie season. You can point to Baker Mayfield with 27 total TDs in his rookie year. Russell Wilson with 30. Robert uh, RG3 with 27. Uh, Dan Marino with 22 TDs in nine games in his rookie campaign. I think these are all guys that you can point to and say just their numbers are just outright better. These statistics are unbelievable. But winning games matters. And that's why a guy like Big Ben is going to crack my top five. I have been at my five spot. He played basically, there are a lot of parallels between rookie Big Ben and rookie Mac Jones because Bill Coward did not put that huge burden on him to go out there and force him to throw down field all the time and win us games. 18 TDs to 11 picks on the year, but Ben went 13-0. and He had a completion percentage of 66%. Um, and like, Ben's going to make my top five even though, even though his stats aren't gaudy. He goes 13-0. and Winning matters, and Mac wins the Patriots games. I do want to say, though, Ben had five game-winning drives his rookie season. That's unbelievable. Another reason why he had such a great rookie campaign. So I guess, to answer the question, yeah, I think he's easily top five. Rookies do not win like this. And like I said, man, you you can look at the other gaudy numbers of these guys, but I just think the winning factor matters. Um, and I'll give you my official top five before I toss it back over. Five, I've got Big Ben. Four, I've got Mac. Three, I've got Andrew Luck. Uh, two, I've got Dak Prescott. And number one, I've got Justin Herbert. You have Andrew Luck top three. Yeah, and it may be surprising because of his high interception total, 18 picks his rookie season. Um, you can also make the argument that he was outplayed by his two contemporaries that season because RG3 and Russell Wilson had tremendous campaigns. I just thought, I mean, Andrew Luck literally took this team from the worst in the NFL Mm -hmm. to a playoff team in the span of one season, and I think that matters. You could make the same argument for RG3. He was outstanding his rookie season, but I just think the Colts were literally the worst team in the league before he came along and were a playoff team uh, when he took over. So I think that matters, but yeah, that's my top five. 
He also completed like 54% of his passes yeah. that year. But, I mean, clearly was among the most talented quarterbacks to ever set foot on a football field. And that, to me, is kind of the crux of the anti-Mac argument. I don't think that he's top five. And I'll make note of the fact that this may be a slight distinction, but the true or false statement is top five rookie quarterback of all time, not top five rookie quarterback season of all time. So what are we gauging, bro? I thought it was the seat. Like, if it's no, not no, no. the season, then what are we basing this off of? Let me explain the intricacies, okay? If I were to say top five rookie quarterback season, it would be more solely based on probably accolades and raw stats without as much context. And you might not get the full picture, okay? So, so in saying this, is Ben in your top five by your criteria? No. But if I were to say top five rookie quarterback season, well, he probably would be because of, obviously, the historic winning. Here's my thing. If you're looking at how many guys in, in NFL history could have done these things as rookies, like let's just run down some of the best rookie quarterback seasons ever, okay? Justin Herbert, I don't think anybody else is doing that. Nobody else has ever come close. It's unquestionably the greatest rookie quarterback season ever, in my opinion. Cam, 35 total touchdowns, 14 on the ground. Nobody else in NFL history could have done that. Dan Marino coming in, starting nine games, slinging 20 touchdowns to six picks. Very, very few guys in NFL history could have done that. Even RG3 coming in and being efficient as a passer and throwing for 20 touchdowns to five picks and rushing for 800 yards and seven touchdowns on almost seven yards per attempt. I don't know that anybody else could have done that. So I do think that there's significant value in appreciating the context and the talent compared to just the raw stats and the winning and whatnot. Because yes, Mac is an exceptional game manager for a rookie quarterback, but he's 22nd in intended air yards per attempt, right? He does not throw the ball downfield, and when he has had to, he has made mistakes, and there's a reason he's been picked off eight times this year. That's not exactly a great number. He's pressured at the fourth lowest rate of all qualified passers this year. He's accurate. He's a good decision maker, yes, but he is extremely protected within this offense, and we see that week after week after week, and it's so many screens, and it's just stuff that cerebral quarterbacks can do. And that doesn't mean it isn't valuable, but yes, that means it's less impressive. And I think if you're comparing him to the best rookie game manager ever, I don't know how you take him over Dak. I mean, winning, obviously Dak was on a different level and was doing it without an elite defense, whereas that's obviously what drives the Pats. And he had 29 total touchdowns to four picks, turned the ball over less, was much more of a weapon with his feet. Like, I just think rookie Dak was unequivocally better than rookie Mac. Are you saying that to me or in general? Because I had Dak over Mac. I'm saying that in general. Well, I'm getting past five names here. I think that Russell Wilson, probably, I mean, more dynamic talent, certainly. And yeah, he was doing more of the game manager stuff. But Mac is very good. He's very good at what he does. But I think I can easily get to five names before him. So can I revise my criteria then? Sure. Okay, so under the new criteria, this is my, my five that I gave out, Ben, Mac, Luck, Prescott, Herbert, are my definite five top seasons. Mm-hmm. Based off individual accolades, I think I'd go in 
just talent wise, I think Herbert's still number one. Mm-hmm. I don't think we I don't know if we're ever gonna see. Like if we see something like that out of another rookie quarterback, it will blow my mind. Two, I'd probably go Cam again, dude. You wanna talk about I give luck props for taking a I mean a ugly Colts team like he did to the playoffs. Cam goes six and ten with that team, but that was an abysmal Panthers squad. So I'd go Cam two. Honestly, Dak three, man. Mm-hmm. Like Dak was special his rookie season and super efficient. Four. Oh, it's tough, man. Because my next three are definitely Marino, Griffin, and Mayfield. I'll go RG three then Marino, and then Baker would probably be no Russell then probably Baker. But that's my five. What about you? So I think I would have to go. Herbert one. I think I'd probably go Dak two. And like, yeah, his job was a hell of a lot easier than a guy like Cam. And he was aided by having the best rushing attack in football. But like the level of maturity. And again, there was dynamism because, I mean, he had six rushing touchdowns. Like he could make plays off schedule like that. Dak was like a top three MVP candidate for a majority of that year. So 13 and three, I think he's probably second. I want to have Marino third. He didn't start for nearly a full season, so it's tough to compare. But I think when he was out there, I mean, immediately that dude was just slinging the rock in a different way. And then I'd probably go Cam four. And then I think I'd go RG three, five, man. I mean, that dude was a one-man offense for one year, but on a team that won 10 games. And, like, that's just special. And then I think I would probably have Russ six. I agree with you. I think that rookie Baker... It's close between him and Mac. It is. I don't know if I would actually decisively take Baker, but I don't need to because guess what? I've already gotten to more than five names. And at the end of the day, obviously, I mean, this isn't the most important conversation. What matters is, hey, what is Mac able to do this year when it comes to winning time? But it's just like when their opponents score 28 points, yes, it's only happened twice, but he hasn't won a game, so they haven't won a shootout. He hasn't had to have those drives where he just goes out there and carries the offense, except for against the Houston Texans, who they fell behind significantly to, which is condemning in and of itself. So yeah, it's great when you can blow out teams because your defense forces four turnovers and you're not under pressure. And it's just, Hey Mac, make the right decision over and over again. That's a skill set. It's something that a lot of guys can't do, especially as rookies. And it's why he is clearly one of the better rookie quarterbacks of all time. But I'm not going to have him in my top five just because I think talent-wise, there's certainly a gap between him and the guys who are on my list. So with that in mind, Logan, the undeniable premier matchup of this weekend is going to involve Mac Jones. And it's going to be on Monday Night Football, and it's Bills-Pats. Pats have surpassed the Bills and now have the top spot in the AFC East at 8-4, and four, Bills at 7-4. We're going to see these teams play twice over the remainder of the regular season. Logan, the Bills are only favored by two and a half points, at least last I saw. And I know a lot of people are picking the Pats, but true or false, the Bills win this game by at least a touchdown. I'm going to go false, man. I really think these are two evenly, evenly matched teams. Um, you know, the Pats have been hot. They've won six straight. Both of these teams are best in point differential right now. The Pats are 146. The Bills are 144. 
Look, man, I'm not, I'm not going to lie, dude. I came into this. I thought I was going to say true. I was going to be like, you know, Josh Allen's going to come into town and light these boys up. But I really do think they're evenly matched, man. I mean, you've got one of the best third down defenses against one of the best third down offenses in football, one of the best red zone attacks in football best against one of the best red zone defenses in football. You have got a really good rushing attack and pace it out offense in New England versus a... I don't know, man. I think you guys are still kind of susceptible on the ground to getting ran on a little bit. This is a good pass defense that should limit the Bills' air attack a little bit. Like, honestly, man, I think what this game is going to come down to, and I hate pigeonholing games to this, and I guess you could say this is a broad statement for every game, but I really think it matters here. Whoever wins the turnover battle, I think, pulls this one out because these teams are just so... It's tight, man. Like, I think, I want to say that the Bills are going to win this game outright because they have Josh Allen, who I still think is one of the best quarterbacks in football. But he has been up and down this season. He's been great, but it's been inconsistent. Like, it was a great showing last week against New Orleans. One of the best uh, performances we've seen from Josh all year. And I need to see more of it. The quarterback edge I give to Buffalo, the teams I think are really evenly matched up. So I just think... Whoever forces more turnovers is going to come away with this. The Pats lead the NFL in turnovers force with 25 right now. The Bills have... Uh, they've had a lot of turnovers these past couple weeks. So I don't know, man. That's what I think it's going to come down to. I hate pigeonholing a game to like that. I'm still going to say the Bills win, but I think this is a lot closer to a three- or four-point game than it is a, a touchdown uh, game for the Bills. Here's what I find hilarious about this. Logan and I were talking on the phone earlier today, and we were thinking of what we wanted to talk about. And Logan, you wanted to make the true or false for this. The Bills win by 20 points. <laughs> and I said, hey, pal, I think that might be a bit much for a game between the two best teams in the AFC. And now you're saying that even a touchdown is false. Dude, I literally, when I started researching this, I was like, no brainer. I'm going true all day, baby. And I started actually looking into yeah. the numbers, and I was like, damn, man, this New England, these New England guys are actually pretty good. Yeah, I, I think this is, honestly, dude, I'm not even going to lie. I think this might be the game I'm most excited for all season long. Like, I am, mm -hmm. I'm amped for this game. Yeah. Well, the Bills are my lock of the week, all right, on our picks against the spread. So... I think that they're going to win this game, and they absolutely need to win this game. But I also do think you identified the key thing. I wouldn't necessarily say it's whoever wins the turnover battle. I would say as long as the Bills don't lose the turnover battle by two or more, they should win this game. But that's my biggest concern. It's a team that is so sound fundamentally, that is so expert at punishing mistakes and capitalizing on those in a defense that has been so great at forcing interceptions and forcing turnovers overall, that does scare me just given some of the inconsistency that we've seen from Josh, the Bills' reliance on throwing the football. It just really concerns me that he could put a ball or two up for grabs, and guess what? The Patriots are the team that capitalizes on that more than anybody else in football, and then, hey... That's all that they really needed. That's the little window. And now they're able to play the kind of football they want. If the Bills can avoid that, though, I just think they're the better team. I mean, 
they're clearly the higher ceiling team, right? We've seen that. And a major reason for that is just straight-up quarterback play and overall offensive weapons through the passing game. But also, clearly, a much lower floor team based on some of the hideous performances we have seen. I just have a gut feeling, kind of, that you got to snap into gear here. Like, this has to be the moment. The Saints game was really good, but you are hosting the Pats, and if you lose this game... Your path to a division title just got exponentially more difficult. And really, I'm not going to say that the Bills are going to win by at least a touchdown. I think they will win by three to seven points probably, but I will say this is false. But I do think they're going to win this game. There is a factor of the final drive element that just favors the Bills. There is a level of dynamism that just favors the Bills. And if the Buffalo defense can play up to expectations and play up to some of its high points this season, that's a pretty damn good defense as well. So I think you have to obviously give the Pats their respect. I think that they are the second-best team in the AFC, and they have been playing like the best team in the AFC. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that we should just all be giving the Bills the crown because they have had a considerable amount of hideous performances this year. Even some of their blowout wins have been hideous, as we've said. But there's got to be some point where you kick in the gear and this has to be that moment or else this Bills team is just going to completely flat out underachieve. So maybe there's more that can be exploited on this Buffalo team, but there's also so much more that is special offensively and at home. That's why I'm going to lean on them. But I am scared of the Josh Allen turnover factor, which sucks because it felt like last year that just... Stop being a concern as much. I mean, there were some early season fumbles, but I really thought that people overstated his recklessness and how erratic he could be. And it was like, oh, everybody talks about that all the time because that's who he was as a prospect. That's who he was in his first two years. But he really did improve upon that. And now he has 10 picks through 11 games this year. And it's just not good enough. So we'll see. I think that that is the key. I mean, it's just really about the Bills not beating themselves, but you can't say that's a given because they have beaten themselves so many times this year. Yeah, and I mean, we've, I think you said it, I mean, we have got to see them kick into gear. You talk about them beating themselves, three turnovers versus the Jags, four turnovers versus the Colts. I mean, both of those just ugly games. Like, and to make matters worse, like you talk about the division being on the line, you have two more games against New England. After this week, Carson, you've got to travel to Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Like, you need this to make sure that you win the division because that is a tough-ass game in Tampa. Like, that is no... So, like, you need to turn up for two reasons in this game. You need to get momentum headed into Tampa Bay. You need to get that confidence up, have won two straight and two dominant performances, and have that momentum going. And you also just need to push the Pats back because they're going to stick around, man. Let me... I want to look at the what the Pats have the rest of the way. I mean, again, we've talked about it. Two easy games for them at the end, both of these teams. Mm -hmm. The next four weeks are really going to decide uh, the fate of this division, and the next two weeks are really crucial for Buffalo. But it starts with this one, and it starts with rolling over them. Again, man, but the it just sucks because the Josh Allen factor makes me want to just say they're going to roll over on them. Mm -hmm. But Josh Allen scares the hell out of me in those erratic performances. I'm amped though, dude. I am. I'm so excited because I think this is. I really do think this could be a, a whole lot. I'm trying to think. 
Do you think, could we still end up getting these teams in the AFC Championship game? Yes, absolutely. Well, are you asking if that is literally possible? Yeah, because I mean... Anything is possible before the playoffs because the seeding shuffles. So you don't know who's going to win out of the wild card spots. So yeah, I mean, it's possible right now. We obviously don't know any final seeding. I think that they're the two best teams in the AFC. I don't know if we'll end up seeing that as the AFC championship game, though. Because if the Bills win and no other... If the Bills are in the wild card spot, the five seed, and no other wild card teams win, and the Pats are the one seed, then the Bills would play the Pats in the second round. But we just don't know any of this. Like, it's still so congested, and the Ravens have the one seed right now. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, I agree, though. I do think these are the two best AF uh, teams in the AFC. They've been the most consistent. Well, been... Buffalo has. Yeah. But, I mean, they've been more consistent, I'd say, than Baltimore or Kansas City, which ah, isn't really saying a whole lot. More consistent than Kansas City. I don't know, man. I mean, the Bills have been a hideous roller coaster this year. I think that they are better than the Ravens. I think they're better than everybody on their best day. But they just haven't had enough of their best days. I mean, the Saints was really an anomaly in that respect, which is disappointing. But they've put themselves in a position now where it's like if they even split with the Pats, the Pats have to be the favorite to win the division, I think, because of going to Tampa for Buffalo. It's really remarkable sort of how things have changed this season where the Pats were sitting at three and four and the Bills had cruised through their first five weeks except for that terrible Steelers game. But now here we are. So we'll see, man. It's going to be a really, really fun one on Monday night. Very excited for that. And with that, we are done for today. So hope you guys have enjoyed as always. Fun to get back to talking some football after we took last week off. But of course... We've got all sorts of NFL, NBA, and trivia content here at NerdSesh. You can find it on our YouTube channel where we live stream now three shows a week because we are done doing our audio-only radio show because the college semester is over. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you can catch us talking football, basketball, and we did do a trivia time episode this Monday, which you can check out. You can also see on our YouTube channel that we do video essays, video breakdowns, pretty much all about the NBA. You can find those. You can also go to our website, nerdsesh.com. We have all of our content there, video, audio, written. You can follow us on social media. Twitter is at nerd underscore sesh. Instagram and TikTok are both at nerdsesh. Logan looks like he just bruised his bicep or something. He seems to be in pain. <laughs> That's very unfortunate. So, sorry, pal. But as always, I've been Carson Brabber. Astute observation, uh, I have also been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... 
right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.